I have very distinct memories of Memorial Day as a child. We would go to a small cemetery about 45 minutes away where um, my uncle was buried, and uh, we would pray, and, and just um, it's an association I have with my grandpa and grandma. But uh, when I was thinking about Memorial Day, even this year, I'm realizing I don't have family buried in the area. It's not quite the same. Uh, in the first church I was in, Memorial Day was kind of comical to me because the school band would march all through town and across the bridge separating two small lakes and end up at the cemetery, and then they'd have one of us pastors do a brief message and prayer, and uh, the kids all wore uh, wool uh, garments, you know, the, the band uniforms, and so by the time they got to the cemetery, a good share of them were passing out. And uh, it was always a hoot to me, to, you know, and, and people say, can you make it quick? You know, <laughs> I can do that. But um, that said, there is still a certain awesomeness to the whole idea. And yet, that's something that in our culture has kind of been adrift for a while, right? Uh, in fact, you know, we talk about 9-11, but really the students coming in weren't even aware of it, right? We're almost a generation past that. And, uh, you know, it's crazy to think about, but that's, that's reality. And uh, for me, uh, I was actually researching the whole topic of war in the Scripture the morning that it happened. You know, and so I have a very distinct memory of that and, and kind of walking through that as a church. I'm going somewhere with this, truthfully. <laughs> if you're going to figure out war or at least a Christian perspective of it, in recent years, a lot of people have just taken the Gospels, and that's very short-sighted or very small. And if you're going to develop a a healthy view of it, you, you better read the Old Testament and probably Revelation as well, where it deals with nations. I mean, in Jesus' day, Jesus wasn't trying to develop a political takeover. For one, he's part of a nation that's already conquered, and he has no political clout of his own, but he's drawing people into a salvation that's even bigger. But the acknowledgement that God controls the affairs of nations is throughout the Scripture. And so when people start talking about war, they talk about just war. And the idea is that since the fall, evil has been existent in our world. And so there are times when groups of people have to evaluate and say, can we stop a greater evil by intervening than, than by not acting. And so if they come to the conclusion that we need to intervene, then the second round of questions go, how much force do we actually use? Because it isn't appropriate for us just to come across with an even greater evil in getting rid of the original, right? And finally, the third area that, that comes to, to mind is that how do you bring reconciliation or peace after that because you know it's not just 
conquer and then hang on as long as you can, but the goal would be a peaceful life with each other. Uh, you take those three areas, and it's not a bad idea to even take it into your parenting. <laughs> you know, stopping evil, using the right amount of force, restoring peace. Uh, those are all, <laughs> it's part of the fight. <laughs> I know it's a good thing, <laughs> joyful. <laughs> but uh, keep, just keep that in mind. Uh, so I want to look at the life of Samson and acknowledge that this was one of the heroes of Israel's history. He was a judge for roughly 20 years. Um, he was a flawed hero, and yet God used him mightily. And the tension in that kind of thing is, I've always looked at him, and I'm kind of going, I'm not even sure where this guy landed, you know, and I'm thankful for Hebrews 11 that refers to him as a hero. And it gives me hope, too, as a flawed individual that God, God works with us. There are consequences for the evil that we do, but he, he even works through our weaknesses, which is amazing. And, and Samson's one of the pictures of that. Um, Israel had turned away from the Lord, and so God had sent an oppressor into their lives in the form of the Philistines, and they had ruled over him for 40 years. So this had gone on for quite a while. And at that point, God begins to work a victory or a salvation for them, a deliverance. And he decides to do it through the person of Samson. Now, he goes to Samson's mother initially, and says, you haven't been able to conceive kids, but I'm going to give you a son. And you're to train him as a Nazarite, which in that day, there was a, um, a form of worship under the Lord where you lived a very devout and unusual life, but there were some very specific rules that they had to follow. And there, in a sense, it was like being set aside or separated for God. And so even before this child is conceived, his mother's told, you're to raise this child that I'm going to give you as a Nazarite. No fruit of the vine, uh, no going near dead bodies. There, there are a number of things. No cutting of his hair. And uh, so she goes home and tells her husband, and he goes, we better ask God to teach us how to raise this child because we don't have a clue. And so they pray, and God answers their prayer, and there's a visitation of an angel and talks to them about what they're to do. You know, when, when, when a society has been in collapse, like the Israelites, there would have been a lot of gaps even in the parenting. You know, one of the things that, that I watch is, in some ways, our culture has been eroding, and some of the the things that we've lost through the years have not been good. You know, there are things that we're exploring and that are good, but there are also things that, that are like disciplines that, or understandings that just kind of evaporate. And it's not a healthy thing, but it's still part of who we are. And the beauty is that God speaks to us in spite of this. 
He doesn't ask us to fully clean ourselves up before he responds to us. But he, he sees us in, in our plight and speaks to us. And he's, he speaks through Samson, a, a very flawed individual, but he still uses him, which is amazing to me. So anyway, this, this family who isn't sure, they aren't sure what to do. They have this encounter with God. And the husband goes away. He's going to kill us. You know, his understanding of God is that if I see God, I'm going to die. And, and, and so again, this is, this is from a guilty people and an awareness of a holy and righteous God. And, and we have no right to be in, this, in the presence of this being. And his wife goes, nah, you know, if, if he's... Speaking to us, he wants to help us. He's not looking to destroy us. He's looking to help us. And, and so it takes place as, as the angel said. And, and a baby's born, and uh, it says that the Spirit of the Lord uh, begins to work through him. And, and so, um, you know, he starts to grow up. And then Samson gets to the age where he wants a wife and he looks away from his own people to the oppressors. And he sees a woman that he likes and he goes, I want to marry her. And his folks are going, oh no, this is so wrong. You can't, you, no, you know. And he's, no, I want her. And, and finally they cave, but you know, this is a, a critical moment because essentially this young man who has been called by God and, and given this wonderful opportunity to, to move the people forward, in a sense, he's stepping into the other culture that's more profane and he's embracing it. And he's taking a wife out of that groom saying, she's pretty, I like her, I want her however that works. So his parents finally cave and they, they arrange the marriage and they're going there and, and this, the first time it says that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, it talks of a, a young lion comes out and he says, Samson just tears him apart like it's a small goat. <laughs> Never torn apart a small goat, but I just, you know, the image given is not... Very difficult compared to a lion, okay? And, and, and so he shreds the thing. And uh, they go, and, and the wedding turns into chaos. You know, it's like you can have the stamp of God on your life, and you can have the Spirit of God in power upon you, but it doesn't mean if you make bad choices that they're just going to turn out great. And so... In some ways, God is using this weakness because there's a declaration made. He wants to, to bring the thing with the Philistines to a point. He wants to, in a sense, make an argument. And, and so in the midst of this wedding celebration, which is a week long, and there's 30 young men brought in to celebrate with them, Samson gets into a, a bet with the guys, and he says, I can tell you a riddle, riddle that you can't answer. And uh, the guy, oh, we, we can answer it. And so 
by day four, the guys are getting a little nervous. They haven't figured it out. And so they start hounding his wife, and she starts, she starts crying. You know, just what you want of a wedding celebration. So she spends the next few days crying, saying, you haven't even told me. Do you really love me? You know, all of, however, again, <laughs> you get the picture. And so eventually he tells her, and then she goes and tells them because it's, they've threatened her. We're going to burn your house down. We're going to burn you and your dad uh, unless we find out. So the, the agreement is that if they can't tell the riddle, each of them is going to give them a set of clothes. If, he, if the riddle is solved, then he has to give each of them a set of clothes. So this is 30 sets. It's a big deal. Well, he gets really angry, and he goes out and he kills 30 men, brings the clothes. Well, that wasn't everybody's, you know, that was out of the picture. This is a man on fire who's going to be used by God mightily, but it's a conflict that just, you know, when you're the oppressed and you're killing the oppressor, it's not working, right? And uh, he, he goes, he leaves. Bad idea, that whole wedding thing. But later on he goes, and she was kind of nice. I, I think I want to go see her. So he goes down and he finds out that the man gave her away to his best man because he thought he didn't like her, and you know it's it's very convoluted. And I don't think we have to read this and say, "Oh, it was all it, you know, it was all good because it was God." No, I think there was a lot of dynamics going on that, you know, it wasn't health, but God was going to work through it anyway. And so, um, well, then Samson really gets mad, and and he goes and slays a batch of people. Well, then the Philistines respond, and the fear that the man had and his, and his daughter, he, they get burned to death. That really upsets Samson. So then he, he catches 300 foxes, it says, and he ties torches on their tails and sends them through the crops and destroys all the harvest. Well, that really upsets the other side. And so they go to the Israelites and say, what's going on? And they say, well, we'll, we'll take care of this for you. And so 3,000 men show up at this cave where Samson has. You know, they're, they're afraid themselves. And he says, promise not to kill me. Just tie me up with ropes. Okay, done. And they deliver them to the Philistines. Well, he snaps the ropes. He finds the jawbone of a donkey. I've been told that that's the strongest bone. I don't know. I don't study donkeys. But anyway, <laughs> that he takes that jawbone and he slays a thousand men. Again, that's supernatural. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I am telling the truth. <laughs> anyway, he gets incredibly dehydrated and... Uh, 
you know, he calls out, I'm not going to die unless I have some water. And, and God opens up a rock for him. And, uh, you know, he, he, he drinks, he survives. But the next story you see of him, again, this man in his weakness goes down to visit a prostitute, and the men of the city say, this is great, we have him contained, we'll kill him. And so in the middle of the night, he gets up, and he picks up the, the doors and the door posts and everything connected to it, carries them up a massive hill, deposits them, and runs off. You know, again, a supernatural power, and not the best way to, to step into miracles, Right? I mean, no one is going to argue that going and visiting a prostitute is the appropriate way to see God work. But God is somehow working through this anyway, in spite of the, the frailties of this man. And so he goes on, and then the next story, you see him hooking up with another Philistine woman, Delilah. That's the famous one. And... Uh, you know, she's offered a lot of money to figure out what's the source of his strength. And he goes through a number of other things. He says, you know, you tie me up with bowstrings, and, and that'll, that'll bind me. And she does it, and he snaps them loose. But he somehow doesn't learn his lesson. So he goes back, and the next time it's fresh rope, and again he snaps it and throws it off. And, and a third time... Slow learner. God's still working through him. He says, if you, if you braid my hair in a loom, it, it, you know, that'll take my power. It, it's getting closer to reality. But uh, that happens. He jumps up, throws the thing off. I, I can't imagine the pain. <laughs> but apparently it didn't matter to him. You know, and, and he, he wins again. Then finally he caves and he says, well, I've been a Nazarite from birth. Shave my head and the power goes. It's like, you know, the covenant's broken. It's over. And uh, it happens. It's, it's curious to me. The first thing they do is, you know, they, they bind him, but they pluck out his eyes. Source of his troubles, so to speak. You know, where he's had this wandering eye. And... There's a consequence. <laughs> he loses his sight. And it says that the, the Philistines had a huge celebration for their God because they believe their God has delivered them from this guy. He's been giving them trouble for 20 years. And, and so they have this celebration. And, you know, the, the building they're on, apparently there's 3,000 people up on a, like a mezzanine level, and they're looking down and watching, which is pretty impressive, right? You know, to, to be able to even hold that many people. And he, he's praying, and he, he said, God, give me one more opportunity. You know, his hair has begun to grow, but he's also, you know, he's blind. He knows that he's messed up. He says, God, one more try. And there's two pillars, apparently, that are key to holding this building up. And he's placed between them, and you know the story, pushes them over, 
3,000 people die, so the leaders of that group are gone. Plus, you know, it just says that he slew more in that single battle or that single time. He dies himself. And, and we're left looking at a delivery of a group of people. And, you know, I, and I, I walk through that, and I'm going, I don't get some of this. I'm really grateful that the Bible includes flaws or flawed individuals because it helps me when I'm looking at you. No. <laughs> when I'm, <laughs> no. I, I had to. No, it helps, it helps me understand for myself, right? You know, when, when <laughs> I know I'll pay for that. <laughs> it was just, yeah. See that flaw that just, can't leave it alone. <laughs> but to, to just be aware that God works even in our weaknesses. Now, would it have been a whole lot better if he had not gone down that road and would God still have used him? Absolutely. Now, there, it, is, it is much better to function in the power of God from a position of health than just, oh, God, please help me. I know in spite of this, you know, trust me on this one. There, there, is, there is a wonderful thing in regard to confidence. But that said, even in our weakness, God uses those things. And even in his frailties, God used that as an opportunity to bring about a deliverance. And so sometimes there, there are times when we look at and we say, well, God, use this in spite of me. And, and there's a temptation to say, well, maybe he wanted me to do that all along. I don't think so. But in his graciousness, he took that situation and used it for his glory anyway. But even with that, there's this recognition that God cares enough for his people to intervene even when they don't even know what to do. They aren't even sure how to raise their children. They're not even sure how their society should look. They're not sure if they should go to war. There's a confusion. And yet God, in his graciousness, reaches out and touches and I was, I was looking at that, and, and uh, I thought, this really is wonderful for us. Um, I'd like to close with just one last passage. This is from 2 Timothy. It says, God's firm foundation stands bearing the seal. The Lord knows those who are his. Let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. He says that, you know, that... The right pattern from our lives is when we embrace the Lord is to step away from our wickedness. That's the path we want to go. And he goes on to say, Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, anyone who cleanses himself from the, what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. And he just says, you know, allow your life to be cleansed, preparing you for everything. You're a vessel in the house. 
Allow him to prepare you for good works. And then he goes on and says, So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness. I like to chase righteousness. Okay? Faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Why don't you stand with me? Lord, indeed, we're grateful for these stories that give the whole picture. And we recognize that even in flaws, you get the work done that you desire to do. And your compassion reaches out to people that don't know everything and don't understand everything. And in many cases, are doing things inappropriately. We thank you for your love that reaches out to us. Now, Lord, help us as we devote our lives to you, to walk in your grace and your favor, to, to weed out the things that don't belong, that we are vessels prepared for every good work in you. We praise your name this day. Amen. I'm never quite sure stories to share in a sense of even like personal weakness. Just let me tell you this, that I've had times where I wondered if God would ever talk to me or through, work through me again. And, uh, you know, I, I think one time in particular, it was like he was saying, not proud of what you did, not uh, embracing it. And, you know, you continue in this path, you're going to have some real trouble. You're not going to be able to live at all according to what I've called you to. And, uh, and yet to know his forgiveness and his release is incredible. And to know that he gives the second chance, so to speak, is powerful. Just amazing. But we, we position ourselves. We desire to have maximum impact of our lives once we embrace Christ. And so that means that we let him weed out the things that don't belong. And so if, if you would like prayer this morning, two things. If you're going through a struggle and you're not sure that you even know the voice of God anymore, we'd like to pray with you. Uh, if you need physical healing, we'd like to pray with you. If you are looking and saying, I need to reestablish my path in the Lord, and of course we'd like to pray with you as well. So right now I want to ask God's blessing. What remains is open-ended worship, and then uh, just stay and pray until we feel like we're done in the Lord with this. May our blessing rest on these, your people. May they know the fullness of favor that you intend for their lives. May they discover what it is with joy to walk in the power of your salvation and to see lives transformed. Ask, Lord, that as each one goes into the community that you'll give them words of life to speak as that you'll enable them to carry out the workings of your kingdom as that you lift gift them with a supernatural. You lift it up and exalt it, our Lord, we pray. In 